Welcome in to another episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. Uh, we're excited for another episode to, to get into today. Very, very interesting one. Uh, Jack laid out a really good outline here. Um, before we get into that, we have another book giveaway that we're going to be doing. Um, we're going to be giving away a family worship guide, the book that we put out last year um, that is three months worth of family uh, really more not not just devotionals it's it's time set aside for you and your family to sit down and study to sit down and sing to sit down and pray together um and it, the way we we structured it the way we put it out is very adaptable if you have young kids or if you have older kids it can work for both and so um that's what we're going to be doing for this giveaway there's going to be a post on the think deeper podcast page uh for which you just need to like comment and share and that by itself will enter you into a drawing uh, and then we will do that. Jack, when are we, uh, how long are we going to leave that up? A week? Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, announce winners on next week. There you go. So we'll announce winners next week. Again, like, comment, and share that particular post, and that will enter you into a drawing for a free family worship guide. So uh, be sure and do that. Uh, is there anything else you guys, go ahead. When, when Will says we, well, we laid it out this way and we did that. He's way too modest. He did all the work. It's fantastic. If you haven't checked it out, I imagine most of our listeners have, but if you have not checked out the Family Worship Guide, definitely enter, man. It is a great, great book. Great, um, yeah, uh, he did a fantastic job on it, and I believe number two is in the works. It is. It is. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, yeah I, we're excited about that as well. Will did a fantastic job, so check it out. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was one that, you know, we've we've heard a lot of people saying, hey, this would be really great, and there's, of course, some devotional books and stuff out there, but um, we wanted to, to lay out one specifically for families, not individuals, for families, and so that's what we did, and we've got volume two coming up soon. Um, got a lot of books coming up soon. We were just talking uh, off air a little bit about what all is coming up. So stay tuned for that. But guys, I don't think we have any other promotional things to get into. So let's get into this week's episode. Again, a very, very interesting one, uh, one that Jack laid out. So Jack, I am going to hand it over to you to kind of introduce where we are headed with this particular episode. Yeah. Uh, so the 4th of July, uh, I was watching a, a classic scene from Sandlot, the baseball movie, you know, neighborhood kids playing baseball under the fireworks on 4th of July. Uh, as Ray Charles' uh, America the Beautiful plays. It, it's just this great, nostalgic 4th of July uh, scene I like I to have watch. To, I have to get out of the way here. I have not seen Sandlot. Uh, Joe was giving me the business for it. It's, I know it's classic. It's one of those uh, clear play or TV movies you know, or where they'll strain out the language because there's some language. But other than that, sure. a quintessential childhood American <laughs> experience movie. That's and, what I've heard. And that's, that's, right. that's what really I wanted to get at with this. What hit me is... Kids in the neighborhood getting together, getting into some trouble, playing baseball, having a good time, the the camaraderie and all that, and you realize, man, that is, is so lost when every kid is in their house on the video games all day long, and, and looking at that, it's like, man, we've lost what it is to be a kid. We've lost so much of that as a society, and then I had another experience where, you know, just kind of the, the concept of being old, it's, uh, I was reminded again of how much we hate that we don't want to be old you don't want to be over the hill you know we gray hair we we can't stand and and you think about as a kid when i you know growing up in the 90s somebody who was 60 they kind of like 60 55 even accepted all right i'm i'm getting to retirement age i'm older i'm a grandparent or whatever and and not the ones better or worse but as far as like the way they dressed like my grandmother's been dressing the same. She's 90 now since I was born, you know, and, and she was in her late 50s. And now it's kind of everyone, you know, maintains from 20 to like 68 years old is, is kind of one stylistic one. And so we don't really know what it means to be old. We don't know what it means to be a kid. We've talked before and we're going to get more in depth here. Of we don't know what it means to be an adult either. And, and we've just lost our way. And so as Christians, as godly families... We want to look at what does God expect for people in different phases of life? Because I think there's a lot of older Christians who just don't really know how to be elderly, how to be aged. And you, and you might even, case in point, when I say that, you know, some older Christians, what's the first thing people say? Oh, don't call us older. You know, well, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not an old man. I'm not an old that's woman. That's an insult. No, that's, right. Yeah, it's an insult. Right. right. Not in the Bible. And so, like, are, are we being discipled by the word or by the culture? as to what a kid is, as to what an adult is, as to what an older person is. And so 
we're just going to look at those things. And the concept, you know, I told the guys is with each of these, we want all of the privileges that come with them, but none of the responsibilities. You know, as a kid, you get to be carefree and, and kind of have fun, do what you want a little bit more, a little less res- responsibility, a little less duty placed on your head. And so we want that part. We don't, we, when we talked about the gentle parenting episode, expecting much from kids, no, 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 we just kind of let them do what they want. As adults, you know, everyone wants the, the privileges of being an adult. I'm not a kid anymore. You can't tell me what to do. I can eat what I want, go where I want, do what I want. But the responsibilities, oh, I was adulting today, man. I had to pay my bills. Like, yeah, that's life. Now, as as elderly people, well, we want the elderly respect, but we don't want to engage and, and kind of have that... I'm not really sure what the term would be. We'll get into it, I guess. But privileges without responsibilities in, in all phases of life where you're happiest and it works best if every age gets its privileges and exercises its responsibilities. So that was a long introduction to, to introduce the concept, but I think it's one that you just look at, we don't know how to live. We don't know how to be who we're supposed to be. And, and I think in these phases is what we're going to get at. It's so interesting. Um, growing up, my parents, my mom specifically, would always tell me because I would, I would always say things like, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. I, I, I wish we were already at X, Y, and Z. And she'd always tell me, don't wish your life away. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. When you think about when you're a kid, a lot of times kids, they, they just, they just want to grow up. They, they want to be able to get that driver's license. They want to be able to turn 18. They want to be able to, to get a, go to college and all that. And it's, it's constantly wishing for the next step, wishing for the next phase. Well, then they get there. And as Jack's speaking of, what do you have with a lot of adults and older people? They, they, they wish that they were younger. They wish that, you know, back in the glory days type of thing. And it's the, the contentment with where we are does not exist. And I think about this concept of don't wish your life away now that I have a son. You know, I, and I caught myself when he was, you know, four or five months old. You know, they're not super expressive. You're not exactly playing ball with them or anything. And I remember thinking like, man, I can't wait till, till we're able to play ball with each other. And, and he's able to tell me stories. And I'm able to read him books uh, to where he can comprehend and all these things. And then I caught myself. It's like, no. This is a phase of life. This is a stage. He'll never be this young again. He'll never be this little again. He'll never be in this phase again. Cherish it and use it for what it is. Um, I think that applies, again, to, to every single one of these areas that we've laid out. We're constantly wishing for something different. The contentment is not here. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think we're constantly looking, in my opinion, to be right around that 20s age. And, and kind of adolescence. We've talked a lot about extending adolescence, but I think that's really the Everybody is unhappy with where they are. The funny thing is there's a lot of 20-year-olds that are unhappy with where they are. They want the privileges of being older. They want the money of being a 40-year-old who's got an established career with all of the fun. And this is why the glory days of college come up so much for people is you are on mom and dad's dime. So you're basically with their money out there playing. And everybody wants to go back to that time because that is the pinnacle of existence where on somebody else's dime, you get to have a ton of fun, go out with your buddies and you know, stay up till all, all hours of the night and, and just have all of these great experiences together. And we're always trying to get to that. So we rush kids through childhood, which we're about to transition into our three phases of life, childhood, adulthood, and, and the elder years. Um, but I think we rush through childhood to get to that adolescent period and you say, okay, well, why would we do that? I think the culture is built for us to do that. Why? Because those in their 20s do have a little bit of money to spend. They can, they do have enough of a childhood where you can hit them on the nostalgia piece. They also have a lot of rebelliousness, so they're easily manipulated. Um, so I know I'm taking maybe more of the conspiracy theory side of it, but I really think things are engineered to try to get people in that specific time period where, where they're, they're re- really malleable, you're saying? Exactly. Malleable, rebellious, but they have enough money to, to go out and buy a bazillion Funko Pops and put them on their desk. And they've got the money to go out and to support every new movie that comes down the, the pipe that's, you know, the 11th Fast and Furious and the 32nd Mission Impossible. And, you know, all of these things, like, they're the ones that have the money Turn to do it. Turn consumers. Correct. And they're the most easily, con- like, and this is why the older generations go, you guys are so selfish. You're consumers. Well, we kind of learned it from you. So we'll get into that as well. But, Jack, I want you to transition us, unless there's anything else you want. I want you to transition us into the childhood years and lay out the problem a little bit. We've, we've already been discussing that, but maybe lay out the problem a little bit, specifically concerning the path to maturity, or really the lack thereof. All right. So, I mean, it starts with, like, we don't want children. Uh, that, that is 
you look at the the birth rate and all that and the the idea that couples have to decide should we have children or not we've we've said so much about that that how against that we are that be fruitful and multiply this is this is mankind this is and i saw a thing the other day where somebody was talking about commiserating with another childless you know intentionally chose not to have children person you know in their 30s and man this is so hard and uh, you know, that's one of them said, well, that's because we're trailblazers. We're pioneers of this way of life that's never been available before. Like, pioneers for who? There's nobody coming behind you. There's like... That's such a good point. You didn't, ha- so you didn't true. have anybody. Like, because the other thing is, you are planning on, you are dependent on other people not making the choice you made because somebody's going to have to, you know, give your care in the nursing home when you're older. Somebody's going to have to grow food for you. Somebody's going to have to stock the grocery stores for you. I mean, like... Somebody's kids are going to have to do it. That This is how humanity works is we replace ourselves. So we don't want kids. When we have kids, they cramp our lifestyle. And you just see this with with so many young couples of like, all right, how, you know, having a night out, having even some time out for mom and dad is important. But there's kind of this lifestyle that a lot of people have of anybody I can pawn these kids off on so we can go do our thing. We can keep our lifestyle going exactly as it was before. Your life's not supposed to be exactly as it was before. And so kids get pawned off. And and so one of the other ways this happens is the digital babysitter. Let's just stick them in front of the iPad, stick them in front of the TV, stick them in front of the video game hours a day. That'll handle it for them so I can do what I want to do, what I need to do, take care of the stuff on my own. And so the kid is an afterthought, number one. But number two, with that, when you're not intentionally shaping them, you're not giving them a path of maturity. You're not giving them the discipline they need, the expectations they need, the responsibility. I mean... Starting at two years old, they should start having responsibilities in the family. Very limited, very low expectations, but hey, you're going to clean up. You're going to be Pick part up your of, toys type of thing. Yeah, yeah, pick up your toys. And and age-appropriate responsibility and expectations, and you see this thing where a kid gets to 12 years old, and man, everything has been done for them. They can't hardly tie their own shoes. And this is like starting to become an epidemic of, of kids who cannot cope with the world around them and there's a phrase i don't know if we use this on an episode lately or not it's it's been on my mind a lot the thing about you don't uh, prepare the path for your child you prepare your child for the path and you know like whatever the life throws your way you want a kid who is responsible is competent is strong rather than let me just make everything in your life to where you never face any resistance. Well, that that's not good. And so it you end up with these kids that live with all pleasure all the time. But in a world of intersectionality where you know, it's it's actually okay to not get through life. It's okay to, you know, just kind of I don't know, to weakness, be weakness is a badge of honor. Exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect way of saying it. Like in a world where weakness is a badge of honor, are we harming our kids by teaching them to not be weak? Well, of course, we know that's not the truth, but I think a lot of parents get sucked into the culture where, yeah, it's okay to be weak. And and yes, to a certain extent, we had the tough guy culture where it's like, well, never show emotion. And I'm not saying that's good, but we've swung the pendulum to the other side where weakness is that badge of honor. And from a parental perspective, when we look at it, it's like, well, the world will take care of you. The world is a brutal place. It's not always going to coddle you. We may be putting things in place right now, but... We're not teaching our kids how to live, as you're talking about, and even why we should be doing these things. We only teach them what to do and what to think, and that's what makes them consumers. They don't know how to, like, get out of the box. And we used to notice this, and yeah, I know we keep referencing other things. We've talked a lot about homeschooling. People get ticked about, you know, they've, they've been ticked at us for saying this, but this is why I believe in homeschooling is not every homeschooler does this, but homeschooling really is a place for you to learn how to get out of the box and to think for yourself. And that's what my parents... Critical thinking. What our, right. right. Critical thinking. What our parents taught us. Like, make sure that you are able to view the world with a correct worldview and then build it out from there. And in the public schools, they're not there to teach your kid how to think. They're t- there to teach them what to think about everything else. And so you grow up and when you hit the adulthood, which we'll get to, but when you hit the adulthood... You have a difficult time thinking for yourself. Critical thinking skills are out the window. This has to start in childhood, but when there is no path to maturity, there is no reason for critical thinking, I mean, where do you go from there, right? It's getting to the point where, at least for me personally, when I see, say, a 14 or 15-year-old kid that is very well-adjusted, that is very socially aware, uh, socially conscious, and when I say socially conscious, I'm not talking about the, the issues about, you know, I'm not talking about their big environmentalists. I'm, I'm saying they, they know how to talk to adults, they know how to carry themselves, that it's not all about them. 
it's kind of an outlier. That's that's not the norm anymore. And there are several, I guess, hallmarks of kids that, like you're talking, we, we don't prepare them for the path. We just try to remove all the obstacles for them. You see kids that are so afraid of failure. You see kids that they, they, they don't want to mess up. And so they just... They, they don't take risks. They just kind of stand back and wait wait to be told what to do versus kids that, you know, go out and get a job at 14 or 15. And so they're, they're learning. They're, they're, they're putting themselves in the path of, hey, maybe I'm not going to do super well, but I'm going to learn versus the kids that, once again, it's the standardized testing era, right? Like, just, just give me the study guide. Give me the answers that I'm supposed to know rather than let's teach you how to think. Let's teach you how to find the answer. Let's teach you all these things. Yeah, go ahead. But we're squashing creativity in the process because it is the standardized testing. That's part of a kid is they build these fantastic worlds. I see my son, you know, Harrison's four years old, going on five soon. And his imagination is so vivid and so wild. And, and it's just so cool to see, like, I've lost that, right? But that's part of the, the growth process is, yeah, you have the artists and whatnot in adulthood, but kids are supposed to. To Jack's point, though, why is it that kids have kind of lost this imagination and this creativity? When you give them iPads at two years old right. and their brains are telling them, I just want to look at this screen. I just want to play on this. I mean, to me, it, it I liken it to the way that a lot of people are writing papers and things right now with ChatGBT. It's like, awesome. I don't have to think. That's what a lot of parents are doing with with tablets. Man, if I can give them a tablet for, for a couple of hours, I don't have to think about how to parent them. I can do my own thing. It's very similar. Like we're, we're removing the thinking. We're removing the cre- creativity. We're removing the imagination because, and not even two years old. If you're giving your kid a tablet at five, six, seven, you're still very severely inhibiting their creativity and their 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 imagination. I think there's another thing of what we're trying to, the whole preparing the path thing is, trying to cover up any flaws, cover up any failure, make sure nothing bad ever happens, and there, there's no need for discipline, there's no consequences, anything like that, and that's kind of the gentle parenting thing, is like, well, let's steer you away from that, rather than let's correct you and, and set you where you need to be, but because we live vicariously through our kids, like, well, if my kid fails, that reflects badly on me, so I can't let them fail, and, and so I've got to jump in there and make sure they don't need the discipline, or they don't act up, and, and that's where you end up with six-year-olds on heavy medication, you know, because, oh, they couldn't sit still. Like, yeah, because he's a six-year-old boy. That's right. They're not made for not this. And so we're trying to force them into this thing where they always act the right way. They always, you know, they're sedated in front of a screen. So they're not acting up, making it. No, this is where you have to engage and realize part of being a kid is making a bazillion mistakes. So you can triangulate and, and, and that it's our job as, you know, for the parents and for grandparents and the people in their life to say, all right, you didn't get that right. I'm not gonna like. I'm not here to beat you over the head, but let's let's adjust. Let's go a different direction next time. Don't do this. And you know, my daughter. I hate to use her as an example, but it, it it is this childhood thing. She had a birthday recently. Well, then we came to church and somebody had a wrap package, and she just walked up and said, "Is that for me? Can I have that?" She's five. Like, and so I pull her aside. Hey, pal, if they want to give it to you, they will. But don't you know? Don't put people on the spot like that. That's just kind of a little bit rude. Oh, okay. she's gonna listen to this episode in ten years and be like, I can't believe he told that story. Yeah, I was yeah, his example. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. But it's <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, like my job is not to prevent her from asking that question. It's to just give her the guidance. I'm like, all right, we do this, and and you, we create this world where kids can't fail, and we just give them what they want all the time, so that they're never upset, they're never unhappy, they never throw a temper tantrum. You know, and when a kid does throw a temper tantrum, it's what can I give you to make this stop right away? And and so you end up with kids that can't handle anything. And so again, we just don't know what childhood's for. And who does that benefit? To stick a kid on Ritalin, to stick a kid on all this medication, and to sedate them in front of a TV. Who does that benefit? Certainly not the kids. No, In no world would we ever assume that's benefiting the kid. That benefits us because of our selfishness. That's what's convenient Makes our job easier. Us. Right. Exactly. And it makes us feel like better parents because, well, my kid's not out burning things down. And instead of actually having to discipline and, and mold the child, this kind of molds him for us. Or it make, he makes it, you know, or those things make the kid such a... Uh, whatever you want to call it, like, you know, docile. Yeah. Yeah. Docile. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, that just gets to our whole point here of, we don't know what childhood's for. And, and childhood again is not about us. It, it is not about the people in the prime of their life and, and well, okay, kids are there. So we've got to figure out a way to make them less inconvenient. No, the inconvenience is part of it. The mistakes are part of it. The the, the temper tantrums, the, the bad attitudes are part of it, and you're, you're trying to shape them through it. And this is the biblical part we want to get to here. 
of Ephesians 6, if children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, honor your father and mother. Uh, and, and he goes on from there, fathers don't provoke them to wrath, but in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you know, you've got Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. This is daily intentional stuff of going, man, they're here. They are not naturally going to just cruise right through and, and be exactly who they're supposed to be. It's going to take all kinds of hands-on discipline and correction and training, and, and that's my job. And the point of their childhood is to learn a lot of this through play, but also to gradually take on more responsibility, to become who uh, they need to be, to, to really grow into the point of, and this was a, a, a philosophy that my dad brought into our family, was their future adults. Treat them like they can understand you. Treat them like you expect them. You know, you can't, you don't expect the five-year-old to go out there and, and, and put, you know, food on the table for the family. No, but you expect that if I tell you to do something, you understood me, you're expected to go do it. And and Because one day they will to have to. Right, right. And, and so the way I'm training you for that is your chores of cleaning up the room and taking out the trash or, or whatever. And if you don't do that, we're going to stay on you until you do because, you know, discipline creates freedom and when when you get a bunch of undisciplined adults and it's it's these things of oh man i just i can't get out of bed in the morning and man my, my life is just so hard like wow we really you know you wasted you squandered the childhood which was the run-up to all of that and because we don't know what kids are for we don't know the purpose of childhood and and again it's we the privileges and not the responsibilities but the responsibilities are what make the privileges fun interestingly so though Go ahead. No, go for it, Will. I was just going to say, so the way you've got it laid out here, Jack, what we just spent time talking about is kind of the way that it is currently, the way society views children in childhood, and now the way God's Word and the Bible and the way that we, we should view childhood. And one of the things that you've got on here is this idea of learning to respect others and knowing your place as a child. I think this is so key, and I've, I've got a question that I want to bring up because this is something that that bothers me so much with the way that a lot of people parent their kids um, and I know we briefly talked about it in the gentle parenting episode, but I see parents that they do everything that they can to make sure that their kids, that their self-esteem level is high. And, and, and some, some hallmarks of this are if the, if, if the, the parent is talking to somebody else and the kid comes up and, and interrupts them and it needs something, the parent just stops talking to the other person. Oh, oh, what do you, what do you need? You know, immediately goes to, to, to see what the kid needs. You see things like, um, where, where the kid, if, if somebody doesn't call them on their birthday, it just wrecks the kid's world. Uh, you see things like, once again, where the kid just grows up thinking everything's about them, that the world revolves about them, that they can only ever watch the movies and things that they want to watch. And this is something that when, when you got on here, learn to respect others and know your place, something I'm so prayerful that I'm going to communicate to my kids is that, look, you, you are incredibly important to our family. You are incredibly important to me as your dad. The world doesn't revolve around you. It is not going to be the end of the world if you don't get to do exactly what you want to do on your birthday. Or again, like if I'm talking to an adult, you can wait. You know, you don't have to interrupt me. But I see these parents that everything's about the kid, making sure the kid feels important, making sure the kid's self-esteem level is high. We got into this discussion when we were talking about, you know, making every single one of your kids' soccer games or events to just make them feel like they're the most important. And I somewhat reject that ideology. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make kids feel special and make them feel loved and cherished and adored, but I think we swing the pendulum too often too far into the making them feel like their self-esteem is high. Does that make sense? Like that's that's the entire focus of of the way that we parent kids. And so guess what they don't have as a result? They don't know how to respect other people. They don't know their place. In their mind, it's the world revolves around me. Why, why should I care what other people, why should I care that my parents talking to somebody else? I've got a need. Why should I care that my younger sibling or my older sibling wants to watch X, Y, and Z? It's what I want to do. Does that make sense? Like this learn to respect others and know your place thing. To me, again, I'm so prayerful that I'm going to be able to communicate and, and teach this to my kids because I think it's so lacking for a lot of kids. Well, there's uh, just, well, just quickly, this sets them on the right footing for their relationship with God, right? With your relationship with God, you are just one cog in a giant system. And if you tell somebody the world revolves around them, it's going to really make it hard for them to accept God and, and submit to him. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think this is why I'm a big advocate for having lots of kids is, you know, multiple kids is like you learn your place inside a system that's bigger than you. When you only have one, maybe two kids, it does revolve around them. Your this is why only does. child syndrome exists. Exactly. Whereas, you know, we're, we're 
going on. And, and Jack, you've got four. We're looking to have four. Um, we'll see what ends up happening from there. But, Will, I know you've talked about it and looking to have four. Like, we grew up, and I was youngest of four, of course, and so you realize there is something bigger than me. It is not all about me. And I'm sure Jack would probably disagree from time to time with it all being about me as the youngest. But um, I, I think that that helps kind of set a kid on a path of, striving to be a part of something bigger and when you are a parent you can then give that to your kids if we have something bigger than you and you can pass that down but if you've never been shown that if you were just and i'm not saying that all um you know only children or only child like every one of them is selfish and they have no idea how to give it to their kids not at all but i do think that that does make a difference and so i mean as we think about it and i don't know how much we want how much more we want to discuss in the childhood part i just think we have to be sure that we don't rush them through too quickly and, and this is what you see where they're, we're teaching five-year-olds environmentalism and teaching them about LGBTQ and sex and everything else in the world. They're trying to rush through childhood and get them to be consumers as fast as possible, stick them in front of an iPad, and then they can start buying their own movie tickets and all their action figures at 15, 16, 17 years old and stay in adolescence. So we can't push them through to that point, but we also have to have in mind what you're talking about, Jack, which is have in mind that one day they will be an adult. And what does a well-functioning adult look like and how do we get them there? And when we have that path laid out of this is what we need to be a well-functioning adult, I feel like we allow them to be, we, we develop really positive attachment where they know they're loved, but you also have bigger things coming ahead of you and this is how we get there. And I think that's what transitions into adulthood. But Jack, I think you had something. I was just going to say, you know, teaching them to be learners because that's part of knowing your place of you know, you've got the, the Greta Thunberg and the David Hogg, you know, the, the youth activist thing that's really become a, a trend in the, in recent years of, you know, here's this 14-year-old to just shake their finger at all of us, you know, stupid adults and, and set the world right. Like, no, you need to sit down and listen for a bit. You don't know anything. And like you say, they're, they're trying to, I mean, kids' cartoons where they're pushing political ideology to them. No, let them be kids, okay? So they need responsibility. That's not their responsibility yet. And so... You know, just understanding what childhood is for is about learning, is about play, it's about mistakes, it's about failures, it's about growing and and everything we've talked about. And and again, honoring your father and mother, obeying, learning to submit, you know, as because as you do to God. Uh, All right, let's go to the second level of this, which is just adulthood itself is transitioning. And, and, you know, we've got kind of the, the teenage years and then you become an adult and legally you become an adult at 18 and, you know, 21 and, you know, the privileges that you get as, as you age and that's all made up and it's all arbitrary. In fact, the word teenager, I think, is less than 100 years old, like that, that you were a kid or you were an adult. And, and so, you know, you might be a young adult, you're transitioning into it, but... Uh, this idea of I'm 18 now, so I and and a lot of Christians hold this. Uh, well, they're 18. I can't tell them anything. Are they an adult? Do they act like an adult? Uh, do, are or are they prepared at 18? And I'm not saying that at 18 somebody can't be. I mean, I at 18 wasn't an adult, adult. And so like there there's a lot of people where that's the case. But we just think well they they hit the number, the magic number, and so who's we can't tell them anything. Like they they just do what they want. No. Adulthood is a state of maturity, is accepting responsibility, and so now you end up at this point where you got thirty-five-year-olds that aren't adults. But and this, go ahead. Well, this is you. We've talked about this before, but this is the importance of rite of passage. We don't have any rites of passage, so we don't know when somebody has passed from a kid into an adult these days. And there used to be, and I don't agree with all of them, obviously, but there used to be clear rites of passage where it's like this is how you're passing into it, and the world kind of defined their own. I would say we as a church need to define what the rite of passage is. And when you're not getting married until 30 and you're not really choosing a career until 25 You're going to college to just party and have fun for four years. exactly it. I mean, at what point do you pass into adulthood? So at 22, you're graduating college, but let's be honest, we knew nothing at life about life at that point at at 22. And so what used to be, man, people start working 16, 17, 18 years old. And by 22, they got a wife and kids. Like they're they're clearly an adult and nobody's taking that away from them. Now we have 22-year-olds coming out of college who have no life experience. They came out with a liberal arts degree that is going to get them a job at Starbucks. And like they have no life purpose either. So yeah, I know I'm coming out hard on that, but truly, what at what point did they pass into adulthood? So well, you're an adult, you can do what you want. Yeah, but you're not showing it. You have no maturity to make adult decisions. The purpose thing is is the real big question here. Is what is the purpose of being an adult? Good point. I would say, as you get there, the purpose, in my opinion, be fruitful, multiply. I think that comes in. Take dominion. This goes back to Genesis one and two. 
Um, when you're ready to take dominion in your areas of life and now responsibility is being passed to you, no longer as, you know, the, the, as a child, you get to look to your parents and they take responsibility for you. Now you're taking responsibility for yourself. And the, the goal is to take responsibility for others, in my opinion, which is that dominion mandate and the be fruitful multiply. So I think that's, that would be my answer. Well, Will, what do you think? This is, this is so interesting to me and I'll, I'll reserve my answer to that question for just a second. But as I was thinking about it, we, we were discussing the fact that far too often we, and you know, rush children into adulthood far too quickly. We rush them out of childhood and into adulthood. But then what do we do with our 17 and 18 year olds? It's almost like we try to hold them back from adulthood as long as possible. Right. And so it's that weird balance of we push kids really far ahead, but then our, our 17, 18 year olds, it's like, well, you know, let's let them, let's, let's push them towards, you know, going to, to college for four years and just kind of having fun in the social clubs. And I'm, I'm not trying to be anti-college here, but it's like, we don't, we don't, we don't push them to embrace adulthood and so a lot of young people as i'm just thinking of the one a lot of the ones that i know they're not yearning for the 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 gifts of adulthood they're not yearning for the responsibilities of adulthood they're wanting to stay in their their adolescence their immaturity they're wanting to be young at heart uh, forever and so i think a lot of this is um if you have a kid that is 17 18 and they get a job they they get married within a year or two how fast does that grow them up how fast do they mature? Pretty quickly. Why? Because they embrace what it means to be an adult at an earlier age. I'm very confident. I got married uh, I got married at 19. I'm very confident that if I had waited till 22, 23 to get married, I probably would have done a whole lot more immature things and and I would have matured a whole lot slower. But because I, I, I again, this is not to pat myself on the back here, but because I embraced adulthood, I embraced providing for myself and then providing for a family, providing for my wife at age 19, I mean that that kind of that kind of pushed me into into adulthood without trying to 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 rein me back and keep me in the the immature having fun let me just kind of live for myself and enjoy my freedom type of years that I think that's what a lot of young people do and so 22 23 go ahead uh, it, it, you're bringing up a fantastic point because this flows perfectly from our view of childhood we can't let kids fail we can't let them be the kid that's at the end of the bench. We're going to take them to a different team because the coach wasn't nice to them. We're going to go get mad at the teacher for giving them bad grades. We're just going to, as we said, we're going to set up life so they can't fail. So then they get to adulthood and go, I'm not ready for marriage. I'm not ready to have kids. I'm going to put that off until I am ready. That's not how it works. As you're saying, yeah. you learn on the job. And, and if you raise a kid the right way where they realize, I don't have to be perfect. I just got to keep going. I've just got to point myself in the right direction. And if I fall down, get back up. It's the same thing, you know, when you're going into marriage, when you're going into to having kids of, man, I'm, I'm just going to wait till I'm ready. Well, what does ready look like? How are you going to know when that is? It's the same thing like, people say, what, like, I'm, I'm waiting till I'm ready to have a kid. You'll never be ready if you wait that long. Well, and, and as you, you perfectly uh, illustrated there, the readiness develops as you go. You know, as you become a parent, like the on day one of, of having a baby, it's like, wow, I have been insanely selfish and I just didn't even realize it. Because now I've got somebody who's fully dependent on me, and you know what? Sometimes it gets on my nerves because I'm a selfish person. I had no way of knowing that until I had the kid. And so I could say, man, I am perfectly ready. And that kid comes out, and it's like, oh, I got work to do. That's how it's going to work. And, and right. because we don't understand that the childhood is training for how to fail and get back up again, you get to adulthood, and you're so afraid to fail at anything, you don't do anything. You don't you don't embark on these things. That, that you don't you don't live life. And so the whole purpose of life, rather than contributing, blessing others, becoming a, a spouse, becoming a parent, becoming an involved part of your church, is what Joe said earlier in the episode. It's consumerism. What do I enjoy? What is my identity piece? And you know. It's a chicken or the egg thing. It really is a result and not the cause, but the social media profile is the perfect illustration of this whole thing. Let me curate my life as to who I want to be. I want to present myself as this kind of person. And so we spend our lives thinking about who am I? What are my hobbies? What are my things that I like that I want people to think of? When what are they the think things I can advertise? Right. Right. And and that I can put out, I'm, I'm the traveling person. I'm the foodie person. I'm the photography person. I'm the sports person i'm the music person i'm the movie buff i'm the this the, 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 i'm the disney person we know people like that whatever it is and no what you are as an adult is is the value you're putting out into the world you know the 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 job you're working the what you are as a spouse as a parent as a church member as a community member like 
that's that's where your real fulfillment is going to come is by contributing something to the lives of others not by putting a spotlight on yourself and saying look at look at me everybody look at look at my hobbies and who I am and how great I am this is a it takes a discussion in a different way but I think a lot of this comes from a workspace salvation of failing to understand grace and failing to understand we will get it wrong and that's okay to get it wrong um we have the idea that yes we're striving for Christ we're striving to be holy and to be perfect I realize that but this idea that we're going to get parenting right, we're going to get our marriage right, we're going to get all these things right. Because the other thing is, for those that do get married early, the, the one place I'd push back is there are some that get married early. And what we're seeing is the first is kind of a test run, and then the second yeah. one they make work. And the same thing happened, I mean, take a celebrity like Will Smith. There's a ton of celebrities this way, but there's a lot of people in the world this way. They get married at a young age. It goes terribly wrong for whatever reason sometimes there's infidelity sometimes there's, i mean bad bad stuff it's not always like the person's fault or whatever but at the same time they get married in their youth it's difficult to make it work at a young age when you don't have the skills you don't know how to fail and so it feels like a failure you divorce and then the second one you either get into a, a an mdr situation where well we can't get remarried or you just go ahead and do it anyway and that's the one that lasts for 40 years well, why didn't the first one work? Because you had this idea that we had to get it perfect. And when it wasn't perfect, we might as well just cut our losses and go. Instead of, I'm going to grow with this person. I'm going to, we're going to make it work. And divorce isn't even an option. And all of these things. Like, I think that's the, it's the same microcosm going back to, you know, as a kid. We can't let them fail. Can't make mistakes. We have to be perfect. And we say the same thing in adulthood is that one of these days I'm going to get it right. And the secret to life is you'll never actually get it right. The yep. goal is striving to get it right, but we need to give ourselves grace and stop thinking that perfection is demanded of us in every every aspect of life. And this is why it's easy to sit in adolescence is because the adolescents are the ones where we get a pass. Notice teenagers are the ones that almost get the most pass of anyone in life. Anyone. Well, they're, it's just, you know, they're teenagers. Of course, they have the most freedom, but the, but the least responsibility. And Correct, then we extend that into your 30s is, is what we've talked about. The that's what I'm lessons. saying. Right. That's what I'm saying is the reason we extend it is that's the time period in life where everybody goes, you're just young. Of course, you get to make mistakes. But as soon as you pass out of adolescence, you're expected to be better. You're expected to almost be perfect. And so we extend adolescence to give ourselves that grace period. What if we extended grace throughout life and recognized we need to have grace in our 60s. We may not get it right there either. That's okay. The goal is to get it right and to have this camaraderie with other people, camaraderie with other people to get it right. Does that make well, sense? But Maybe I'm that's also, well, first of all, I wouldn't cite Will Smith's second marriage as a success. No, um, no, no doubt. But he has right. been married for, I mean, that's going back to the 90s. I don't think yeah. it's a success at all. She's a train wreck and he is too. Well, but hey, hey, hey. I'm saying. His wife's name out your mouth. Okay? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> all right. So moving on from all that before one of us gets slapped. Uh, <laughs> nice, what, nice. What I was going to say is, this is where we get into the whole like, well, everybody sins thing. Like you're expected to to make mistakes and fail, but you're not expected to learn from it. You're not expected to apologize for it, to make it right or anything like that. Well, they're just young. They're just kids. You know, you'll see people, you know, in their 20s do, you know, criminal stuff or whatever and just have people say, well, they're kids. Like, no, they're not. No, no. <laughs> this goes back to our view of kids is when a kid does something wrong, they need to be disciplined and corrected for it. Not, well, of course you're going to fall. Yeah, like uh, to your point, of course you're going to fall. And yes, there is grace, but you can't keep doing it. You got to right. learn from you this mistake. Learn. And and people don't learn from it. So they keep perpetuating the mistake. And, and throughout their adulthood, you just, you take this into your 30s and 40s and the selfish mindset. And that's where you get the midlife crisis thing of, man, I, I didn't become the astronaut, the baseball player, the movie star, the, the pop star. Like, I, I'm a failure. And so I've got to go back and rethink some things. I got to divorce my wife. I got to go get the Corvette. I got to go get a hairpiece. I got to go, like, hold on to my youth for all it's worth. And it's like, this is pathetic. You don't know what your adulthood was for. And because you've burned the first 20 years of it not knowing what it's for, you're going to burn the next 20 trying to catch up to what you lost in the first 20. And, it, like, all of this is just miserable. It speaks to the point we started with about the discontentment with the state that we're currently in, the not being grateful for the stage of life we're in. Like, all the ways that we've, we've kind of hit around it, but all the ways that this these problems manifest themselves. The kid ulting is one that we talked about, like the... Oh my goodness, I went to the grocery store today, or oh my word, I had to talk on the phone to somebody today. I adulted today. That, that's that's one of the ways that you that it's manifested. You, you, we we talk a lot about this unseriousness with specifically men, specifically the 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 guys, the dads that are supposed to be leading the family. Um, 
just just a lot of unserious men, the the goofy, the immature, and and not that we can never be goofy or not that we can never joke around or whatever, but you see a lot of men, you see a lot of guys that are leading their family, and it's just they they carry themselves in such an unserious way that you can tell it's that extended adolescence thing. And you just talked about the trying to remain cool, you know, trying to keep your youth to try to, again, just avoid moving into the next phase. It's because we don't appreciate the next phase of what adulthood is supposed to be. Um, but I didn't know if there was anything else you guys wanted to get into as well, far as the well, way let's that sit this on that for a second itself. about let's sit on the unseriousness thing for a second, because a lot of dads make themselves the butt of the joke, right? We've talked about before the ball and chain, you know, and Oh, the, the mom, she's got an extra kid to raise. She's got a big kid to raise. Uh, or uh, like the, the, Oh, dads are losers. You know, they wear their cargo shorts and their new balance and boy, they're just <laughs> so uncool. And you know, they're just, they're the joke of society. And, right. Yeah. They're they and they always make themselves the butt of the joke. And you know what? You need to be able to laugh at yourself and, and, but everybody in the family needs to have that. And as I've said before with the, the spouse thing, if you wouldn't make that joke in the opposite direction, like about the wife, well, man, I've just, I got to raise her too. Like you wouldn't make that joke. So don't let, you know, like you need respect for the position, but as adults, we don't understand that like, it's, it's not about being cool. It's not about the jokes. It's not, there, there is a, a seriousness that needs to, to go along with the lightheartedness. Think about this in every aspect of life. Think about the, the football coach who demands more respect the guy that's the players' coach that's just cutting up and, and dancing with the players, or and you know just pretends like he's as a one Denver of them. Broncos fan. I was going to say the Broncos, right? Can, yeah, yeah, Nathaniel Hackett. Like, to that. Do, does he demand more respect, or does Bill Belichick demand more respect when he walks into the room? It's like, okay, it's serious time. Same thing with with your with your job with a boss. Obviously, not none of us are, are pro football players. Who demands more respect? Is it the guy who who is who's coming in just a goof, goofball, real immature, kind of cutting up with everybody, or is it the guy that walks in the room and, and demands things of people? And not that he's a jerk or anything like that, but it, it, it's common sense. It makes sense that the ones that are more serious are going to demand more respect. And so you apply that into a marriage or into a, a parenting situation. If you've got an unserious husband, if you've got an unserious dad that's just a goofball, immature, whatever, man, what kind of respect is that going to demand from his wife, first of all, but then also from his kids if he's just the butt of the joke all the time? Like, we don't really have to listen to what he says because he's just a, you know, he's, he's just a goofball. He's, he's somebody that's not worthy of respect. Lovable loser. Yeah, it's it's the but ones I'll, I'll, that. Go ahead. No, no, no. I didn't mean to cut you off. But why can we not take ourselves seriously? We're insecure about something. But let me tell you another yeah. thing. How many guys are addicted to porn? And sure. how in the world can I command respect from you when I've got this going on? How in the world can I command respect from others and step into a room and say I know I'm the man? And so the goofiness is a cover way. up. You're saying basically. Bingo, bingo. We're insecure about who we are, and so we can't take ourselves seriously because we might uncover all of these things we have going on. If I know I'm good at something, I don't have to be an arrogant jerk about it. I can come in and go. I know what I'm doing. If I knew how to fix cars as a therapist, I don't feel like I'm the best therapist in the world, not by a long shot. But I think I know what I'm doing. So when I step into a therapy session, I'm not going, um, so how do I do this? I'm, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for you know several years. So, and, and again, that's not intended to be arrogant. That's intended to say, we've worked. This is part of adulthood. We work to a point where we feel secure and confident in who we are and what we're about. And so we can command respect in those ways. When we don't, and when I know I'm not man enough, and I know that I'm not good at this, and when I go to lead a family, I have no idea what I'm doing. Instead of learning, we'll just make jokes about it. Right. Instead of learning what it takes to lead a family and to be the husband I need to be and to be incredibly proficient at my job and to be the best that I can possibly be, which is the dominion mandate, instead of doing that, I'll just fake it until I make it, or I'll just make a ton of jokes and nobody takes me seriously, and man, I'm let off the hook. That's pathetic. It's pathetic, but how many guys do it? I've been, you know, I've done this before as well, and this is something that I'm trying to get away from and trying to call every other guy away from is be the best at whatever you're doing, and that will command respect in and of itself. And the way you walk into a room will absolutely change because the way you look yourself in the mirror, you're proud of who you see. But when you've got a secret porn addiction or when you're cheating on your wife or when you're lazy at work and you're not doing anything and you're on Facebook for six hours of the day, and, and, you know, just basically trying to not get caught so you don't get fired. How can you command respect of yourself? So adulthood is about, you know, when we talk about we're unserious, we're unserious for a reason. 
to be honest. It's That's because we point. are insecure about who we are. So make sure that we're stepping up. That's that's a big part of adulthood. Sorry, guys. I well, didn't what mean we to go have society-wide is, I'll, I'll use this to transition us to our last point, is the society-wide learned helplessness. We're looking for a parent. We're looking for validation from somewhere. We're just looking around, hoping somebody will tell us, you're doing a good job, you're on the right track, whatever. And because, you know, a lot of folks didn't get that in their childhood. They weren't raised with that affirmation, with that love, that that, that just teaching them to be a respectable person and, and a firm person who's, who's confident in who they are because we're just generations deep into bad parenting, a culture of divorce, all kinds of things like that. And so you come into adulthood with that, and you and, and then so that's why you're trying to hang on to your adolescence because, man, there was something there. I felt comfortable there, and I'm not comfortable becoming this next thing, this competent person you're talking about. And so, man, I've got to hold on to my 80s music and my, you know, all, all the movies that were great when I was 18 are still the greatest in the world, and that's, you know, that's what I hang my hat on as I'm that guy. And, like, you got to move on to something else. And, and then the worst thing, because, again, everyone's looking for a parent to validate them, to to move them on that rite of passage river. And I've got to tell you, it's not coming. And what happens is you get into your 50s and 60s still looking for that, and it leads to an elder generation that, you know, we, we did the Generation Wars episode. It was one of our first ones. You go back and listen. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Our flow was a little more rough. I think we were <laughs> two episodes in. But uh, you have a lot of older folks that don't know how to be older, and that's what we talked about at the start. Man, I, I don't want gray hair. I will dye my hair. I will put fake hair up there or whatever because I, I got to hang on to my youth. I can't have that. I'm going to dress like I did when I was 20. I'm going to talk like I did. I'm, I, I, I can't get old. I don't want to get old. Well, why? Why not? Like, there, there's, we as a society don't honor old people. I mean, you've got euthanasia, which is basically, I mean, like, up in Canada, like, let's figure out how to, way to, get, how to get rid of these people when they outlast their physical utility. And, and, and this is not the biblical way of, of seeing age, but we carry that learned helplessness into our 50s, 60s, and 70s looking for somebody to validate us. That never came. And so we start looking downward. I say we, I'm not there yet. But they start looking downward uh, for validation close. of like, oh. on this podcast you are. <laughs> ouch, 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 <laughs> ouch. Uh, anyway. They start looking, you know, to the younger generations for that validation. To be, like, hey, I'm I'm older than you. I'm wiser than you. You need to listen to me. And like, well, hold on. Did you earn that? I mean, there there's some respect that comes with the age, but there also needs to be some of of the attitude that that you're bringing as an older person as well. I think that transition us transitions us into fellas, unless you got anything else on the adulthood side of it, into our third and final. We got ten minutes. We're already into this. What do you this, think I just saying, did? He, he did transition. That was the last thirty minutes. <laughs> it wasn't the last thirty minutes. No, Joe's you're old. Talking he about can't the hear. The last, in your last thirty seconds. The last thirty seconds. In the last comment, yes, you're you're getting into the elder years and and some of the problems. Yes, I appreciate so, you transitioning us, Joe. We needed somebody to transition us, so. Thank exactly. you, thank you, hey, and we needed somebody will, to make it will, very why clear. Why don't you go ahead and get us into our third point? <laughs> <laughs> we needed somebody to make it clear, so we didn't. Hey, because you transitioned and you blended adulthood and, and elder years. See what I did there? Is I came in and I made a clean break, and so everybody knows where we are in the outline now. So, hey, I'm I'm here to to make sure everything is straight. Um, but we'll go with yes, that. As sure. we're talking about as we're talking about those problems. One of the things that, that we get into, and act like you got us into this third point, you barely dipped into the very first of like <laughs> ten points we have on here. So calm, calm yourself. It's called it's called um, setting you up. I'm giving you some runway here. All right. I, I appreciate it. Uh huh. Okay. As we get into entitlement, kind of this, you know, one of the one of the keys, in my opinion, of some of the older generation, they think the same about us, and that's kind of the funny thing is they look down on millennials and go, "What an entitled generation." Who's the one that refuses to move from their pew at church? Right. This Not is where millennial. I sit. You know, a visitor comes in and it's like, how dare you sit in my spot? I mean, we know stories where literally a woman came in, an older woman, that somebody, a visitor, accidentally sat in her spot. She stood at the pew and looked at them until they moved. Never seen these people before. And guess what? We never saw them again either. We'll go, go figure. figure. Like she she stood and, and looked. The people in the restaurant, when it's taken too long, tap their watch. What's going on here? You know, like... That's the entitled mindset. And what we call it in this culture is the Karen, quote unquote, mindset. That's not so much millennials as the older generation. And if the millennials show it, you go, well, where did we get it from? Where did we learn that the world revolves around us? I hate to say it, but there's an aspect, an element, and I want to respect the older generation as well. But at the same time, Jack, you hit on this well, which is 
the respect in so many instances is earned. Like the, the deep respect that you command is earned. Now the respect of the position, I may not respect what the president does, but I'll respect him as, as the president because of the position. People have problems with their parents. I may respect the position, and I'll do the same here, but the idea that we're going to have some deep-seated respect for you, not if you haven't earned it, and not if you're not showing that in some way. Well, you brought up who is the one that normally you know kicks people out of their pew. I brought this up a couple episodes ago. Who is the generation that typically divides churches over opinion issues, over traditional issues, you know, who won't budge on pews versus chairs, on times of service? It's, it's not the millennials. It's the older generation. And as I think about this entitlement mentality, which is what I, I believe is one of the strongest reasons. I, I agree. Younger people do not respect older people, and I, I, that's wrong biblically. We, we should but what's the reason for it? It's because I, you know, I help run the uh, the coffee shop that my dad works at, and all the employees are younger. And it's funny who is the generation that when they walk up to the front counter, our employees are rolling their eyes. Oh boy, hope this hope this goes well. It's when there's an older person at the front counter because very rarely are you going to have a thirty or forty year old that is just giving them problems and giving them the business. Unfortunately, oftentimes it is the older generation that it's like. Man, please, please help this go well because typically, you know, they're they're grouchy or they're just, you know, you know, ungrateful or whatever. And so, listen, you you demand respect, you want respect. We younger people should give older people respect. I'm, I'm not trying to justify kids who just brush older people off or or don't even think about them. But the entitlement is real, and the entitlement is such a detractor from us really wanting to spend time with older people, with us wanting to sit down and converse with older people. And there are a lot of older people out there that understand this and do a really good job at it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize here. Um, there are a lot of older people that are really good about reaching out to young people, about being kind to young people. But there's a lot of them specifically in the church that aren't also. And so this is where we, we just really, once again, we have to call to a higher standard of this is, this is the way that a lot of older people are. And it's probably a reason why a lot of young people don't have respect for the elderly. At that age, there should be this magnanimous view towards other people, you know, of like, I am the patriarch, the matriarch, I'm the person that, that's been there, done that, and and so where you've learned to stop being selfish, you've learned to put others first, You've le- and instead it's gone to the other, opposite direction of like you're saying, walk in and just start demanding certain things from, uh, you know, from a 17-year-old making them coffee or, or whatever the case may be. And, and you see it also come into like policy discussions of, you know what, when I was your age, I just, I mowed lawns in college. That's how I paid my student loans. Like your student loans could be paid for by mowing lawns in college. You know how many lawns somebody would have to mow to pay their student loans now? They'd be doing it for 40 years. I mean, like that's half of America. Or, you know, right. will you just go down to just go down to the local hardware store and give them a firm handshake and you'll have a career that'll buy you a house and a, a car and all that. Like, no, it, you know, you just lazy entitled people, you know, while people are running around working a job and three side hustles trying to keep their, their family afloat. And well, in an back apartment. in my day, and it's like, you know why they can't do that? Because of policies you guys voted for over the years so that, you know, life could be cheaper and easier and like all the wealth that you accumulated, there's none left and, and people can't. And, and so it's very frustrating to be lectured of, well... If you guys just worked as hard as I do, like a lot of you guys did work hard. I'm, I'm giving that to you for sure. The world is not the same. And what you would expect from that older magnanimous person is to look and listen and go, man, it's a lot harder than when I was a kid. Things have changed a little bit. It's a different world. And you know what? I had my challenges. You have yours. And so, you know, like, how can I help? Or, you know, that's that's hard and that's difficult rather than, well, you're just all lazy, entitled, selfish, like have a little self-awareness here. It, it's very frustrating to deal with somebody who just thinks they're better than you in every single way and won't stop to listen to you in, in that sense. And this is part of wisdom, is being willing to look at the younger generation, not with rose-tinted glasses, and but certainly not with the, I don't know if you want to say the black-tinted glasses, where you refuse to see anything they do well. Part of wisdom is understanding what they're going through. And I think they look at well, wisdom is me having a few quips that I can pass down, and that's going to just change their life if they just listen to me. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is sitting with a young person going, tell me about what's going on with your life. you know, And then you can impart that wisdom, but you can't you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the economics. You don't know how difficult life is these days. And it's like, oh, they're complaining. I'm not complaining. Life is what it is. We're having our own challenges. But until you understand the challenges we have, please don't come in with these quick whips, uh, quips and 
act like we're stupid, act like we're entitled, act like we, you know, we're lazy, all of these things. That's so demeaning. And it's like, no wonder why we don't have a good relationship with the older generation. Think about the disconnect there with what you're talking about is why older people for some reason and, and younger people, there's just a disconnect there. And a lot of it's what you're saying. But I think about Titus 2, and we, we've referenced that, goodness, a hundred times probably and since the start of this podcast. But we've referenced before, older older men, older women are to teach the younger women and the younger men very specific things, how to love their husbands, how to be discreet, chase homemakers, how to be sober. You think about if I wanted to teach Jackson, my son, and I wanted to teach him how to play football, but I went back to the, the way football was played in 1970, 1980, and I said, all right, Jackson, this is how you play football. He would look at me like, I'm sorry, what? That's that's not what I see on TV right now. Why are you teaching me this way? Same thing with basketball or same thing with, you know, you, you could you could list a bunch of things there. I think it's impossible for older men and older women to teach younger men and younger women the things that they're specifically supposed to teach them about in Titus 2 that we see if they're not plugged into the way that they're supposed to do that now. Is the way that you're supposed to be discreet chasing a homemaker the exact same now as it was in 1970, 1980? No, it's probably not. Is the ways that you need to be sober and all the things that we see, once again there, that older men, older women are supposed to be teaching the younger generation, it's not that the, the, the commands have changed, but the way that we carry them out, the way that we obey them might have changed. And so if we, if we want older people to teach younger, which we should, they need to be very aware of how that what that looks like today and what working hard looks like today. It's not the way it was in the seventies, eighties, sixties, fifties. If I'm again, if I'm teaching Jackson how to play football, but I go back to the time before they were throwing the football and it was just run the running game, I'm not going to do a very good job of teaching him how to play football. And so I think again, a lot of older people, yes, we want you to teach us. We want you to carry out Titus too, but you've got to, you can't be stuck in the sixties anymore. You've got to look at what are, what are, what is life like now? What does it mean to be a homemaker now? What does it mean to, to be sober now? These are things that again, you're not going to be as effective of a teacher of, uh, as effective of a mentor. If you're constantly going back to the way things were 50, 60 years ago, does that make sense? That might've been a terrible analogy, but that, no, that's just is. what my mind came to. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would diagnose as part of this problem is a lot of older people view younger people as their competition. It's yeah. not a contest. Like, we're all in this together, and we're on the same team. And so you'll see, I mean, Christians even will say this, I ain't leaving anything for my kids. I'm spending it all. Like, what? So the world just exists for your pleasure? Like, you don't have a multi-generational vision of, man, I'm planting a tree that is going to stand a thousand years of, you know, like I'm building something in my family, in my generation, in my, my kids. And you wonder why how many, we've lost so many kids falling away from the church because you got multiple generations living for all that matters is me. And when I die, that's it. That's all I'm, I'm going to that finish line. I don't have anything that extends beyond me after my death that I'm leaving any impact. I'm taking it all with me. And, and then you see, the, the again, the competition thing coming out with, uh, you know, the memes on Facebook that I've railed about before of, oh, you know, you're, we could cripple your generation if we switched everything to cursive and stick shifts. Like, that was your choice. You chose to stop teaching right. those things. You are not, you did not magically appear on this earth with that knowledge. Somebody taught you because they didn't view you as competition. They viewed you as their successors. They viewed you as somebody they wanted to train to take it over and, and move it forward. You view the next generation as competition. That doesn't work. You have to have a biblical view. And, and Deuteronomy 6 is so important to this, where Moses is telling the people of Israel, you're going into this land. There's only one way this is going to work. And that's if you, he says, fathers, but also grandfathers, teach your children these statutes. Have them everywhere, around your house, uh, when you rise up. All of those verses are fathers, grandfathers, you've got to teach it to your kids. Not, well, when I die, whatever you do, that's up to you. Uh, no, think long term. You're talking about how it affects society with the stick shifts and the cursive and things like that. Think about how it's impacting the church. Shameless plug. I wrote an article for our Focus Plus subscribers uh, titled The Battle That Satan Is Currently Winning. And what I talked about is he Satan has succeeded in making churches, making congregations, making older generations not think in terms of multi-generational faithfulness. We don't. And, and if we say we do, what we mean is, oh, we send them to, to – 
exposure. We send them to CYC. We give them youth group stuff. And so that's our multi-generational faithfulness. That's ridiculous. We've got so many people who don't think in terms of multi-generational faithfulness. They don't think in terms of how are we going to do what we see in the Old Testament, which is God, when he's handing Israel the promised land, he's not saying, man, take it, use it, enjoy it. He's saying, you make sure you pass it on to your kids. You make sure your kids know what I did for you. You make sure your kids know everything that that you went through, that we went through, you know, going through the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan River. Make sure your kids know these things. That was such a point of emphasis so that your kids don't forget. We don't think that way in the church. And again, when when we say we do, we just mean we send them to youth camp and we have youth groups. That's not what multi-generational faithfulness is. We've got older generations, and in many cases, we have church leadership structures that don't really think long and hard, don't have a plan for how do we make sure the next generation and the generation after that stays faithful? How do we make sure that we're not passing the baton to 25% of what the congregation is now? Like that that's that's the, the rate that most congregations are shrinking at. So it, I'm a firm believer Satan is winning that battle because we have a lot of older people, older older generations, and this is not meant to just be a bash session. But the church is shrinking for a reason. And it's because we don't think in these terms of how do we make sure, Jack used these, how do we make sure that the next generation knows how to use cursive? How do we make sure that they know how to use a stick shift? Well, we should probably teach them. How do we make sure kids know how to stay faithful, how to be a good Christian husband, good Christian father? We should probably teach them, and we're just simply not in so many cases. Which is a direct, indirect contrast or a direct violation of Titus 2, right. older teaching the younger. And what what frustrates me is... And I said this on the podcast back then. I've said this a couple times. Why are we the ones having to to talk about this? Why is everybody under 40 the ones having to talk about multi-generational faithfulness? My kid's four, man. My oldest kid is four. Why don't we have the 70-year-olds and the 80-year-olds going, guys, what are we going to do? We're losing some. And and the answer is not let's just bring in instruments and let women preach. Clearly, that's wrong. What are we going to do to keep the youth here? And what are we going to do to keep our kids faithful? But when you retire from life at 60, 70 years old, and and you realize that, hey, man, I'm just going to go sit on a beach somewhere and, and I'll kind of check in occasionally. Some of them are fantastic elders. So once again, I'm not, this is a broad brush. Some of them are absolutely fantastic elders. But I want that generation to be the ones coming up with the wisdom, to be the ones coming up with how are we going to keep kids faithful and what are we going to do in our churches and in our homes and how are we going to teach them, make sure that these parents are raising up really faithful kids. It should not be 20 and 30 year olds having to push forth the idea of multi-generational faithfulness. This is a biblical concept and I'm putting it to the older people. You guys should be championing this because you're the wise ones. You know the mistakes you made. You know the triumphs you You have the experience and wisdom that we don't have. Right. Exactly. Teach it to us. Give us something that we can go off of. And if you don't know, learn. You're not too old to learn that and to to impart some of the things that you're learning. Well, so we're we're running out of time. I want to finish on this of we've been kind of hard on the older generation. We're hard on our own. We're hard on, you know, our, our view towards kids. Uh, I feel bad for this older generation, boomers and up, because they weren't really parented either. They didn't have – they're looking sure. for that validation that I talked about. There's that learned helplessness of looking for somebody to pat them on the head and say, good job, buddy, man, you you did well, good for you. And they're seeking that validation in external things, in their retirement, and they're they're looking down on younger generations. Oh, I know cursive, and you don't. You're looking in the wrong places. But I feel bad that you weren't given that that you that you need that as a generation. Uh, and you know, we're really who set us on this cycle is a generation that isn't alive anymore. And so, if we're really wanting to throw the blame around, well, we can be real hard on them. They're not listening. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> You know, this was my point on the transition of that that learned helplessness, that looking for validation that runs throughout society. It's not coming. And and hopefully our generation and in, in really in putting that into our kids can break that cycle. But the best thing that could happen is if you are an older Christian right now, realize I don't need that validation. That validation comes from God. It comes from what I've contributed to society and to my family and all that. And the best thing I can do now is not look to them for validation, not look and, and selfishly say, I'm spending all your inheritance and you know I don't care. 
think multi-generationally. Think, how can I help my kids and grandkids? How, and, and if you don't have kids and grandkids, how can I help the young people at church? How can I use what I have, the gray head of wisdom that is a crown, Proverbs 16 talks about, and, and all these verses that we didn't have a chance to get to that talked about the beauty of age, that I'm not afraid of aging. I want to be that older person who can help other people and, and be a father and be a mother to them. It's so important, and we need that from you. It's not just seven-year-olds mentoring 16-year-olds. It's seven-year-olds right. mentoring 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds. Exactly. It's, it's the general, just, you know, we, we think older teaching younger. We think 75-year-olds teaching the teenagers. That That's valuable and needed, I would say. But also the generations right below them, the, the, the again, 45-year-olds, the 50-year-olds who are right smack in the middle of raising their kids, they need to be taught and mentored and, and have wisdom shared with them as well. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and get us into our third point, talking about older people here. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <Shut> him. <laughs> uh, just kidding. All right. No, but uh, uh-huh. that, that's all for yeah. this week. I would, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing our, uh, our comments on Focus Plus uh, that we can get into deep end later this week because I, I think this is a fascinating topic. Uh, and so uh, if you're a Plus subscriber, join us in there, drop some comments, and we'll uh, record our deep end podcast or for the the end of the week. Uh, get them in by Wednesday night. If you're not a Focus Plus subscriber, join up. Uh, it's it's again all kinds of content going up all the time, um, and you can have access to the deep end. You can join the discussion as part of this episode. And so, uh, Focus Plus Focus Press dot org slash plus p l u s. Uh, check that out. As always, uh, no, not as always. Uh, as a reminder, we are doing the book giveaway. Will's Family Worship Guide. The Think Deeper Facebook page, go check that out. And uh, if there's and no, we're else, not we're... worshiping Will's family. Sorry, yeah. what? <laughs> Will's fam, Will's family worship guide. It was just funny. Oh, what oh you said. Will's, Will's family worship guide. Family worship guide by Will. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a giveaway of those. So check that out, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.